Good day. I am Sharon Pearson. I am president of Salem City Club. Thank you for joining us today. This last week has been a difficult one in our area with so many power outages. Many are still without power and more are still without internet. Because of this, we will make the recording available as soon as possible for this program. Our March programs are scheduled for the 5th and the 19th. On the 5th, we'll meet Salem's new police chief, Trevor Womack. On March 19th, we'll hear from Dr. Steve Thorsett, president of Willamette University, who will talk about the state of higher education on a national and a local level. Visit SalemCityClub.com for more information and to register. City Club would not be able to present programs without the generous support of our supporting business sponsors, KMUZ Community Radio, Eugene Fobert Graphic Design, Pioneer Trust Bank, Rich Duncan Construction, and Virgil T. Golden Funeral Home. Thank you to our supporting business sponsors, our business sponsors, and all of our members for their support of our club and our mission to keep the community informed. And now, here is our program lead, Jan Margosian, who will introduce today's program. Hello, Jan. Hello, Sharon. Thank you so much uh, for the nice introduction. Um, I am very excited about today's program. Um, delighted to welcome Salem City Club's virtual program lineup to well-known and well-respected Salem women that many of you uh, listening today know as longtime members of Salem City Club. Uh, Senator Deb Patterson, Democrat, District 10 of Salem, and Representative Raquel Moore Green, Rep Republican, uh, District 19, Salem. Now, as Sharon was saying, this year, 2020, was a year most of us would like to forget. A uh, pandemic like no other, with thousands of deaths from COVID-19, a crashing economy, dramatic job loss, and millions of Oregonians staying home, hoping for better times. Fortunately, I really believe 2021 looks much better uh, with a rigorous program to vaccinate all Oregonians, uh, case numbers going down as patient citizens wait for their turns at home and the opening of the legislature uh, with elected officials on both sides of the aisle ready to tackle a huge complicated issues. Now today's speakers uh, will present their views of a session less clearly defined than those in the past. Uh, Senator Deb Patterson, who was elected November 2020 this fall, has spent over 20 years in healthcare advocacy as a director of an international health organization, as the founding vice president of a children's health foundation, and in several other capacities in healthcare access and education. Uh, she also is an ordained clergy in the congressional, uh, Congregational Church. Now, Deb describes herself as a strong advocate for healthcare for all, uh, for giving every child the education they need to succeed, 
and for our environment and human rights. Uh, Raquel Moore Green was appointed to District 19 in 2019 by the Marion County Commission uh, to uh, replace Denise Bowles uh, after Bowles was appointed to replace Jackie Winters in the Senate. Uh, Moore Green was elected to that position um, in November 2020. She served uh, in that short session. So she's been down there at the Capitol a little longer than Senator uh, Patterson has. Now, as the first Republican of direct Puerto Rican heritage to be elected to the Oregon State House of Representatives, uh, Raquel Moore Green finds herself uh, what she says uniquely positioned to navigate multiple traditions, customs, and approaches to the many issues currently facing all Oregonians. Uh, she looks at herself as a dedicated bridge builder, and uh, she's very confident that this session uh, will produce uh, some really good bipartisan legislation. Uh, she knows the challenges of a closed capital is very different, and both of them are going to talk about that today. Now, today, as is our custom, uh, we begin with the senator followed by the representative. And uh, Senator Patterson, uh, would you start us off and then introduce uh, Representative Moore Green uh, when she has finished? Now, following the presentations, my co-moderator, Cindy Condon, will take over and she will conduct the Q&A. We want to make sure we have enough time for lots of questions from our listening audience. Uh, and now, uh, Senator Patterson. Well, thank you so much, Jan. And uh, it's a real privilege and honor to be here this afternoon with Representative Moore Green. And I look forward to um, the time when we can see each other all in person. And I hope that won't be too much further down the road. Um, as we begin, I'd like to ask you to, um, to get a sense of what it's like to be in the Capitol right now, to close your eyes. Um, and imagine that you're entering into the Capitol from let's say the Willamette side, and you're walking in through the door on a typical day of a legislative session. Um, you probably would see a display there. Some days there would be military uniforms there with veterans to talk about the history of the various uniforms. There might be a display about school-based health centers or representatives of students and administrators and faculty from some of the state universities. Um, some of the students from various health professions might be there, physical therapists or others, and a plethora of other groups on different days during the entire legislative session. And then as you imagine continuing to walk into the building, you would be um, uh, coming up to the information desk, which would be staffed with dedicated individuals who would be answering questions from visitors ranging from school children to people from out of state to people from across Oregon uh, wanting to visit the offices of their legislators or get to a committee meeting or, or just know some of the history of the building. Um, then you might see some of those school groups walking and looking up those grand stairs on both sides of the, um, of, of the rotunda or looking agog at the rotunda itself. And uh, there might be a sprinkle of people in the store and a gaggle of people on those stone benches around the rotunda talking on their cell phones. So then as we walk down either, the, either wing of the building, the halls would be lined with lobbyists of every stripe working on their laptops 
on the padded window seats or um, talking with legislators who might be happy to pass by. The hearing rooms would be filled for hours each day and at 11 o'clock, there would be four sessions in the House and the Senate. You can just hear with your eyes closed the gavel or the crying of the word, vote. Now imagine that Capitol empty. It has the silence of a morgue. It's an, it's an odd feeling indeed. And that's how the session feels this time around. The session was delayed until after the inauguration by a few days by the real threat of the violence of, it, of other violence such like that which occurred at our Capitol on December 21st during the special session. And at the US Capitol on January 6th, you know what happened on those days. Um, the new members and those who were reelected were sworn in on January 11th in the Senate. Um, I had, we were each able to have one family member in attendance with us. Committee work began shortly thereafter. Oh, you can open up your eyes. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> but this is um, all committee work is on Zoom. The session uh, does meet once a week right now in person. Um, and so for our committee meetings, we see each other daily and we see um, stakeholders, lobbyists, um, um, voters, any other interested people providing testimony. Um, I'm currently serving as chair of the health, Senate Healthcare Committee, um, the Natural Resources and Wildfire Committee, Housing and Development, and Veterans Affairs and Emergency Preparedness. I'm also serving on the work group to reapply for a Medicaid waiver, which uh, is due at the end of this year. We did get a small delay because of the wildfires and COVID and have just been named um, as the Senate representative to the Oregon Commission for Women. Um, so each right now what's happening is each Thursday, we go in for a floor session during February. March, that will increase to Tuesdays and Thursdays. And starting April 5th, Monday through Thursday, we'll have floor session. The silver lining um, is that we are able in our committee meetings to have participation from anywhere on an equal footing. Um, for example, on um, the, um, the other day, we had hearing on housing and uh, development. So we had develop, housing developers from Redmond there. We had stakeholders there from across the state who were speaking to the issues around affordable housing, which is a statewide issue. And they didn't, they didn't have to leave home. And while certainly we don't want to return to a time of not being open, we want to be open as soon as possible. Um, that is a, a small silver lining. Um, also, another thing that's um, is, has been, very noticeable during this time are some of the language barriers. There is a committee working right now to address this. For example, OLIS, which with, with which you're all familiar with, the Oregon Legislative Information System, is available almost exclusively in English. And so um, it'll be really important to make those resources available as soon as possible um, in, in other languages. And um, also not everyone does have equal access as we know with the, or have um, an equal comfort level with using technology. So there are, there are some barriers to be clear, but as, as Jan mentioned, Hopefully we'll all be vaccinated soon and um, we'll be able to get back to normal. Um, so we were delayed for several reasons. Um, as I mentioned, a delay at the start and then we were delayed by the ice storm that shut things down again. Um, 
And one thing you need to know is that the committee meetings aren't being just moved back a, a day. They're being rescheduled and reshuffled because uh, um, we often have expert testimony and it takes a while to line that up. And so you don't want to move everybody forward. So you might have to push a day over top of another day um, leapfrog. So do check the agendas on OLIS. To, they, they are posted in advance. Um, and be sure to, uh, you know, the bills that are of interest to you, be sure to know that they will be posted in a timely manner, but they might not just necessarily be pushed down the line in order that they were going to be before the storm. Um, one thing else, two things are new, or a bunch of things are new. One of the things that are new is that um, there is a 24-hour period after the start of a, of a committee hearing to submit written testimony, which is different. Used to be before the meeting started. Now it's up to the time of 24 hours after the start of the meeting. In addition, no work session can be scheduled without 48 hours notice, again, giving people more time. We have, uh, in the past, as you know, we've had three-minute um, length of time for testimony. This time we've been encouraged to, um, if if whenever possible to make sure that everyone has full time to speak. What, um, and so I attended a hearing on um, Wednesday night of this week around wildfire recovery. Um, it was joint committee hearing of the Senate um, Natural Resource and Wildfire Recovery Committee, as well as the House Committee uh, on the same um, issues. And that testimony lasted almost five hours. Wanted to be sure everyone was heard. So, um, almost just what what is a day like almost every conversation we can't just have them in the hallways right now almost every conversation is a scheduled conversation on phone or by zoom and we have lobby days that are virtual lobby days so um i would just say that um i miss seeing everybody and so i'm trying to get out when i can i got in the car um and drove all afternoon for all across the district talking with neighbors the other day and trying to get out as much as i can every day to meet with folks and talk with folks and stay connected and that's just how it is but um we know that we will get back to business as normal as usual as soon as possible and in the meantime please reach out to us we want to hear from you we want to see you um, i'm doing a virtual um, um i'm doing a video each week to do a little legislative update and just uh, i'm happy to talk with with you about any individual bills that i'm um, working on at the, the same time um as jan had mentioned uh uh, Representative Moore Green and I are working together on some projects, uh, which we can talk about later. Um, I, as Representative Moore Green um, stated, and, and Jan, I know that we want to work together um, to get things done. I meet weekly with Representative Knope, I mean, Senator Knope, who is the vice chair of the of the Senate Health Care Committee as we plan the agenda priorities um, and it we just have there the work has to get done and we have to do it together so um, just generally you should know that my my priorities are around affordability transparency and accountability in healthcare and about the affordability of of housing and um, support for those who are currently living without housing and for landlords who um, are having struggling to pay their um, pay their mortgages because of rent moratorium, 
moratoria and to help those people who are renting. I mean, we're all in this together. So I am going to sign off for now. I believe I have used up my, yes, my 10 minutes. And it is my pleasure to introduce to you Representative Raquel Moore-Green. It's the mute button. If you don't get that mute button, you find yourself in trouble. <laughs> Good afternoon, Salem City Club. And thank you so much, Senator uh, Patterson, for uh, that description of what the Capitol uh, was like prior to March 16th, 2020. Um, your description, I, I could see it and smell it and feel it. So thank you for that. Um, as uh, the Senator noted, we have been closed and the Capitol has actually been closed to the public since mid-March of last year. So we are heading into 12 months of the public uh, um, not being allowed into the building. Now, obviously members are, as are our staff. Um, and last March after the shutdown or the, the executive order closing us down to bend the curve on the spread of the virus, I was appointed to the Joint Committee on the Coronavirus Response. And we were fortunate enough at that time to still be able to have um, our committee meetings in the Capitol. We were socially distanced and we were appropriately um, uh, um, appointed for at that point in time for what we knew and what we understood were to be the, the practices that were necessary to, to bend the curve. And during that committee time, we spent uh, a lot of time talking about what we thought at that point in time were going to be the, the major pieces that would need to be addressed moving forward uh, in hopes that at the end of or mid-May we would come out uh, on the other side of this, the curve was bent and we could perhaps proceed with, with business as usual. And we all know that that was not the case. Uh, we did manage to have three special sessions that uh, were socially distanced. Uh, we had very strict rules uh, it, in the House. I'm, I'm not quite as familiar with the, the, the rules in the Senate. You know, each chamber has their own rules that, that they adopt. And um, in the course of that, uh, um, we had our special sessions where we actually were able to appropriate legislative money. So um, there are various pots of money, as you're well aware. Um, and then in between those times, the e-board meant numerous times to uh, shore up some of the areas that, that we could uh, definitely see that Oregonians were struggling with. Uh, Senator mentioned one of those, and that was on housing and rent, some of the the uh, funds that were released to, to alleviate those um, problems. And then uh, of course, in the midst of all of this, uh, we had um, uh, a social, uh, what I, I would like to consider a resurgence of the civil rights uh, movement that uh, um, and from the early sixties. And with any uh, movement, any social movement, uh, it, it takes time. If we look back to the women's movement of um, the late 1800s and early 1900s to the effort to get women to vote, it, didn't, it, didn't, it was not successful the first time. And the first time around, as a matter of fact, it was just um, uh, um, in the United States, it was uh, people of color were not allowed to vote. Um, and so we progressed through that and we finally get to the point where, you know, everybody is allowed to vote. Um, and so in the midst of our, the resurgence of our um, civil rights movement and rightfully so, 
Um, we have many issues ahead of us um, and things that we've incorporated into all of the legislation that, that we are seeing this session around social equity, removing barriers, providing opportunities, giving incentives. Then we have the wildfires. And so there's the response to the wildfires uh, that uh, needs to be uh, addressed as well. And for those of us who live here in Salem, we know that the Santiam Canyon is our backyard. Many of us, that's uh, where we vacation. That's where some of our kids have, have learned to, to use canoes and, and, and to fish and so on and so forth. And so it's uh, a very important uh, uh, part of our economy and fabric of our community that, that will need to, to be addressed as well. And, you know, just when we thought we were going to um, not be on easy street by any uh, stretch of the imagination, but where we finally uh, were in session, as the senator described, we, we per, we've proceeded, we've persevered. Um, we, we have, once again, um, and this word hopefully will not become trite, a historic uh, uh, ice storm, 600,000 customers without power. It's staggering. I had uh, a constituent call this week twice and I finally caught up with her this morning. Uh, so, uh, so terribly disturbed that in the first few days she did not see any PGE trucks in Salem you know, not understanding what, what, what is going on. All these, all these people don't have electricity and I'm not seeing any, any trucks out doing anything. And I explained to her that um, there was major damage done to our, our system overall, the substations that went down, over 8,000 lines that went down. Um, this was on a magnitude that we have not seen before. And uh, I pointed to the... Um, uh, the, the guidance that we have received ever since the report on Cascadia came out, and I've sat through several Salem City Club programs around emergency preparedness, where they tell us, be prepared. Be prepared to have two weeks without water, two weeks without electricity, and two weeks without gas. Have your food, have your water. Um, and I, I believe that this ice storm has demonstrated to us the seriousness of that, to be ready for those things. Know your home, know your surroundings, know your neighbors, um, be prepared. Um, and uh, moving forward, I, I believe that we will also, as we're in session at the moment, that we will be hearing reports on this, much like the wildfire um, uh, hearing that was held in the House on Thursday, I believe it was, no, it was Wednesday evening, they had a four and a half hour hearing on uh, uh, the wildfire response, and I believe it was just for the McKenzie uh, uh, Alameda area, the one for the Santiam Canyon is forthcoming. Um, but here again, to hear the challenges that Oregonians faced, and I believe that we'll probably, hopefully before session is out, be hearing about the ice storm as well. And um, just to wrap up my, my opening comments, um, uh, I want to uh, thank you all for being here today. And just to let you know, um, I uh, the committees that I serve on, I am the vice chair of the House Behavioral Health Committee. I serve on the House Health Committee the House Health Committee Subcommittee of COVID-19, House Energy and Environment, and the House Conduct 
committee. Additionally, um, since late last summer, I have served on the Governor's Healthy Schools Reopening Committee and the Governor's Education Recovery Committee. Uh, with that, I think I would like to turn it back now to our host and I uh, would love to get started on questions and um, thank you. Thank you, Raquel. And uh, there you go, uh, Deb. Very interesting. I can't imagine going into that beautiful building and not hearing all that goes on there all the time. So I bet that is very, very different. Thank you both so much for being here today. Uh, I am going to turn over the next part of our program to co-moderator Cindy Condon. Uh, she's going to talk a little bit about how the Q&A is organized. Uh, and uh, then she's got the power. Uh, and she's going to get help get the questions to both of you. And please relax. Enjoy yourself. Um, I can't wait to hear some of the questions from our members. Thanks again, both of you. Thank you, thank you, Jan. Uh, just very, very quickly, a quick review of the Q&A uh, session uh, protocol. So um, all registered attendees logged in on a computer pad or smart device have a, a raise hand icon or button on your screen. If you have a question to ask of Senator Patterson or of Representative Moore Green, please click on the button to raise your hand. People will be called on as time permits. Your microphone will be activated when called on, but you must click on your microphone icon to be heard. If you prefer, you may write a question using the Q&A button at the bottom of your screen. I will read it in the order asked. If you are joining us by telephone, and I don't think we have anyone by telephone today, but just in case, please press star nine to raise and lower your hand or star six to, or and star six to mute and unmute your phone. So with that, we can get started on questions. And I've got a question from Michael Dwayne Brown. Is there any different bonding between or among female senators or house members? And just a follow on to that, another gender related question. Are there differences in Senate House members and how they serve based on gender? And Representative Moore Green, do you want to take that first? Uh, yes, thank you. And thank you, Michael, for the question. Uh, you make me smile because Senator Elizabeth Steiner Hayward um, has, has continued her tradition of um, a, a weekly or bi-weekly gathering of all of the um, female legislators in um, the Senate and the uh, House. And I attended the other evening and I believe Senator Patterson was there for just a little bit because even though these are after hour activities, um, our calendars um, are often uh, eight in the morning to eight in the evening, if not seven in the morning. So, um, uh, but it was wonderful to meet um, the new Senator, the new female senators because I haven't had a chance to do that because at the moment, the House is um, in the Capitol on Tuesdays. The Senate is there on Thursdays. And so we don't even have um, the luxury of walking down or across the, the building and saying hello to each other. Although I'm putting you on warning, Senator, I'm going to be there next Thursday. I want to come see you, okay? Oh, that would be great. I'll look forward to that. <laughs> so, um, so yes, I'll answer that part. I'll let uh, the Senator answer the other half of the question. 
you know, this is my first time out, so I have nothing to compare this with, but I will say that I honestly see um, the women um, in, on, in both chambers reaching out to work together. Um, and I'll be perfectly honest with you, I also see a number of men doing that too. It is not, um, I don't necessarily think it's a gender thing, but uh, I just have a lot of, I'm just looking forward to the work, the work. There's so much to be done and two heads are better than one. I really believe that. So together we can get, we'll do so much. Two female heads or two male heads. Perfect. <laughs> or male and female, I guess. But uh, I do think that the women are more, I mean, I, I don't, um, Representative Morgan, I can't speak for you, but I really miss the chances for the informal talking and I'm sure you do too. And so I think women are trying, are trying to be good at inventing times to have those conversations. Great, thank you for those answers. And Ron Ekus has a question. So Ron, if you can um, unmute your mic, that'd be great. Am I unmuted? You are. Okay, thank you. Um, my question. Whoops, Ron, we lost you. Ron, there you, there you go. There you go. My question has to do with the interplay between the desire for bipartisanship and um, getting something done. Certainly bipartisanship, <clears throat> as we started out this year, is a sort of a byword or certainly reflects a desire from a lot of legislators and a lot of voters. However, bipartisanship uh, can also stand in the way of delaying things or keeping things from being done. So I'd like your perspectives on the relationship of bipartisanship and the interplay with the majority party's ability to get something done. So Senator Patterson, do you wanna take that on? Yeah, um, again, not speaking from years of experience, but from weeks of experience, um, I will say that it is my personal intention to work as collaboratively as possible um, with as many people as I can. Um, I am always surprised by the insights that I hear from all the members on the committees that I'm serving on. Everyone brings something valuable to the table. Um, I can't speak what will happen in the future, but I am intent on very respectfully engaging with others to um, get the best possible outcome that considers all points of view. I'm going to turn it over to Rep. Moore Green. So, uh, Representative, oh, there you go. Thank you, Senator, and thank you, Ron, for the the question. And if I could quote uh, the late. Um, Senator Winters, uh, the best work that was done in the legislature was when we were 30-30. And um, it, it forced both sides to come together. Um, my, my approach to this, being in the super minority, is that there are areas in which we can find commonality and that we will be very successful. Um, the Senator and I have already had conversations with ODOT around the homeless issue that we see on the state uh, on, on I-5 here, which is an area that we, we can directly affect. Now, we obviously affect uh, the funding of, of other programs for that, but uh, directly what we can do as, as elected officials. Um, 
there's an enormous amount of work to be done within the behavioral health um, arena. And I believe there's bipartisan support for that. Um, uh, being on the Energy and Environment Committee, I think here again, there are things that we want to work on. Um, one of the filters that I plan on using is will this legislation, as important as it is, will it help us move ourselves through the pandemic and, and have be better off at, at the, once we're out of it? Will it help remove, uh, move forward the recovery of our communities from wildfire? And will it help our economy? And so while we may have topics that are wonderful, they may be too large uh, to handle in light of what I see as critical issues that need to be addressed in a session that we are still virtual. Uh, um, uh, and, and, and that creates its own problems as far as the fluidity and the ability to have some of those exchanges that we normally do as, as humans. And I think you've probably even seen it in your own family. You know, we uh, have Zoomed some grandchildren and it's not the same as sitting next to them or, you know, having that casual conversation of that, that, that's going on and you have that interchange of, of ideas. So, um, you know, Ron, I have, uh, I consider myself a bridge builder. I believe that's my reputation in town the last 25 years. And I have no intention of, of changing that moving forward. And excuse me, I'm just going to put my charger in my, my computer. I'm not going away. <laughs> Thank you, Representative Moore Green. And now Tim Buckley has a question. Tim, can you unmute your mic? There you go. Yeah, thank you, Cindy. Um, I noticed from your opening, uh, Representative and Senator, I noticed that both of you are, are, are tasked with committee work that deals with healthcare. And so I'm wondering if, if each of you could give just a, a brief overview of where Oregon is relative to healthcare, mental health care, and whether you've are in favor of broadening uh, the opportunity for more Oregonians to get affordable health care that includes mental health. So Senator Patterson, do you want to take that first? Oh, thank you. Um, thanks, thank you, Tim. That's a great question. Um, I meant to mention that um, Next Thursday at one o'clock, the um, Senate Healthcare Committee will be hearing three bills that may be of interest uh, to folks um, on the call. One is um, SCR three, which is an, um, a resolution to remember Representative Mitch Greenlick, who was so instrumental in the work of um, moving for moving us forward towards um, more ex uh, accessible, affordable healthcare. Um, in addition, the um, HOPE Amendment, uh, SJR, um, Senate Joint Resolution 12, which was uh, would, would take to the people um, the opportunity to vote on whether the Constitution should be changed to state that healthcare is a human right. That will be up for uh, discussion, as will be um, Senate Bill 428, which talks about extending, providing an extension 
on the timeline for the work of the task force on universal healthcare coverage, um, which was slowed down very much by the pandemic. Um, there are a number of initiatives, a great number of initiatives related to behavioral health. Um, as you know, in the Senate, um, and I'm not sure the name in the House of the committee, but in the Senate, it's uh, called the um, Human Services and Mental Health, as and Senator Gelser chairs that. They have a number of um, bills they're considering right now. One bill that um, I'm the chief sponsor of is um, a bill which would be um, a pilot project pilot project to offer and not require but offer make available for free uh, mental health screenings for high schools and then um, connect with local partners. Um, Providence, for example, is taking the lead on this um, in three places already uh, in the Portland metro area. Um, so there are a lot of things underway there and I'm gonna turn it over to Rep Moore Green. Thank you, Senator Patterson. So there, okay. Yeah, you know, getting to that unmute button is a challenge, isn't it? Um, thank you. Thank you, Tim, for the, the question. And um, uh, so broadening the opportunity for Oregonians to, re uh, to receive affordable health care and specifically around behavioral health. And I think I'd like to talk a little bit about that. So um, one of the first bills that we moved out of the house I believe it was two weeks ago. So, uh, pardon me, not out of the house. We haven't moved anything out of the house at the moment. <laughs> Sorry about that. Out of committee um, was uh, a House Bill 2313, which requires the um, Oregon Health Authority to work with the Alcohol and Drug Commission to take a statewide inventory of services available to prevent and treat substance abuse um, and, and to support individuals in recovery. Now, um, you might say, well, why? Well, as uh, Senator Patterson noted, we're honoring Mitch uh, Greenlick, a former representative, who had a vision for what needed to be done with health care, with behavioral health. And I sat on the behavioral health committee that he chaired uh, um, previous to, to his um, passing. And he would sit there and he would literally say, we need to put together a roadmap. We need a roadmap. We, we know where we want to go, but we, we need to know what we have. We need to know the services. We need to know the funding. And this is the first step in doing that. And, and in my mind, um, this is foundational to, to moving forward. This is a very small ask. Now, nothing is really uh, small as I have under, come to understand. It's a $200,000 ask. Um, but it's one that I um, will um, do my best to see to it that, it that it does get passed because it's terribly important um, work for that foundational piece. Um, there was also an audit by the Secretary of State on um, the OHA, the Oregon Health Authority. And within that, there was obviously an audit on the behavioral health also. And there are recommendations that come out of that that we're going to try and sweep in and, and assess and see how we can get moving forward. It's going to be um, one of those things where I think in behavioral health, we're going to see, we know that there are programs that need to be uh, funded, that we need to continue funding. We, we can't just stop funding it and say, well, let us get our ducks in order. So it's, it's gonna be one of those, uh, you know, phasing, uh, we, we will continue to serve while we uh, get that foundation uh, in place and start to uh, 
absorb or uh, redirect or uh, reprioritize uh, the, the, the funding that goes to those things. One of the, 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 the pieces that, that were challenged with additionally in the House Health Committee is the implementation of Measure uh, 110. And I believe on the Senate side, uh, Judiciary has a subcommittee that will be addressing that. So it, it will be interesting. Uh, we've, I think the House is more or less charged with uh, how is it gonna work out health-wise and perhaps the Judiciary is, uh, I, I don't know. I'm, I won't even speculate on that, but I can only imagine with the, with the titles that has been given. Um, and then, uh, the broadening the opportunity, I had a long discussion uh, with a couple of different uh, entities around uh, expanding healthcare. And here again, it's one of those, those um, situations that we find ourselves in that OHA has put a cap. They say, we don't want healthcare to grow more than 3.4% over the next biennium. And we say, okay, so that means we have to contain costs. How do we contain cost? while we're expanding coverage. So that, you know, there's the, the argument, well, if we expand coverage, we will delay some of uh, and, and alleviate some of the visits, visits to um, emergency, urgent care. Uh, we won't fall into some of the, uh, uh, the management of chronic diseases that we've, we've seen put aside during this pandemic. Um, and, and um, so how do we weigh all of that? How do we make those decisions? And um, they're not easy decisions. We need the input from the public. We need um, the input from the providers, from the insurers, uh, um, from all of the stakeholders. They're uh, terribly important questions and things that I do take seriously. Um, to that end, I'll, I'll share with you one bill that I have introduced and I was actually supposed to get a hearing on it yesterday, but we ran out of time. So hopefully it will be up next week, but it is um, the Chronic Kidney Disease Task Force. And this is a bill that will put in place a task force to uh, develop a uh, can educational campaign around chronic kidney disease, which we know affects um, African-Americans four times greater than it does any other segment of, of our population. We also know in this this uh, time of COVID-19 that underlying uh, disease and uh, um, issues uh, complicate, if not uh, end up being deadly if you get COVID-19. So we know this is important and I think education is, is huge. Um, the better people understand how, how uh, the environment affects us, how our diet, how exercise affects us, uh, the better they can be better stewards of themselves and their families. I could go on and on, and I think maybe I'll give it up for the next question. Thank you, Cindy. Thank you, Representative Moore Green. And um, Kevin Holmbaum had a question, and I think it has uh, it has been answered, um, but Kevin, if it wasn't answered or you wanna ask another one, um, certainly put it back into the Q&A and I'll move on to Russ. Um, could you identify a bipartisan bill that would be your highest priority for working together. So Representative Moore Green, do you wanna take that one first? Thank you. Um, so 
All candid, uh, don't know yet. Um, I, I will admit that I have been very focused on what's been in front of me for my committees. And um, the Senator and I have met a couple of times, but we haven't quite gotten to that nitty gritty of what, you know, okay, so it's, it's time to deal. Because I think most of you understand that, um, you know, we've got 4,000 plus bills on the House side. And that's going to get whittled down. Um, and the, the Senate probably has a corresponding, well, maybe not quite as many. There aren't as many of you. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, and I, I know, uh, and I cannot speak for the Senator, but I do know that she and I have a collective interest in uh, the city of Turner and their water needs and their infrastructure needs. And that is an item that we have discussed along with the homelessness. Um, but here again, I, I'm, we haven't landed on anything in particular and perhaps the Senator knows um, of some things that are in the mix that I'm unaware of. So, um, Senator. Oh, thanks, Representative Morgreen. Um, as, as I would agree completely with what you said, I can only, and I'm, I'm not, too familiar with all the bills in the House, obviously, because they're the great number, or all of the bills in the Senate either, because they're, again, the numbers are, are daunting. Um, but I would like to speak to a bill that um, I signed on as a sponsor that was, uh, the chief sponsor is Senator um, Tim Knope, um, a Republican Senator from Bend, who um, was working on, with Habitat for Humanity on a bill that I also had, um, Built uh, House Bill 2001 passed in 2019, as you will recall, which provided middle housing, which is uh, duplexes or triplexes or quadplexes for cities over 25,000 um, that, that they would be expected to allow those to be built. Cities of 10,000 or larger only would be expected to allow duplexes. But this bill um, that Senator Knope um, in partnership with, oh goodness, I forget who the Democrat was. Um, I think it's Senator Frederick, but I could be mistaken. Anyway, would allow people to purchase their portion like a townhouse so that they could own part the part of that with a homeowners association um and so i just think that's a great idea we have we have to work together in so many different ways to address the situation of people living without housing and russ you know that better than anybody you and delana so um i think that given the urgency of our various crises that we've faced and the convergence of them all that we, that we need to work together and there's a lot of great ideas out there we need more ideas than just democratic ideas. I mean, no, they're all democratic than just Democrats. <laughs> there you go. There, well, it's still early going. So I'm sure there will be more bills come up as, and, and there will be um, people finding their partners um, in support or opposition, I suppose. So uh, the next question is from Michael Dwayne Brown and I'm sure he'd be better at asking this, but I'll read it as it was written. Um, I love politics. Uh, me too, actually, but it's been painful to experience the dysfunction of toxic hyperpartisanship at the federal and state level. What are your thoughts on pros and cons of a constitutional amendment to require a nonpartisan service, for instance, before any legislator can take their oath and begin serving, they must resign from any political party and shall not act as a leader, member, or supporter of any partisan political organization during their term of office. So let me see, Senator Patterson. 
Well, I think you have to be registered as a part in a party to run for office. I, I, so um, I'm not sure how it would completely, um, you know, but I, I kind of like the way Governor Brown had put it years ago. Um, she talked about run, govern, run. And so, um, you know, there's a time for campaigning and there's a time to set that aside and to work together and to do the work of, of governing. Um, and so this is not right now is, I, I totally agree with what Michael says about setting aside politics for the time to, to get the work done uh, and party. But um, I, I, the, the, um, I don't see how one could be, we would all be independent then I guess. Uh, um, Rep Moore Green, what would you have to say to that? Thank you, Senator. And um, if I heard the question correctly, Michael, um, that we would become elected, um, and then once elected, we would um, put aside or take off that mantle of, of whatever, uh, wherever we came from, and that we would um, come together. And you know what, I would love a Salem City Club program on that topic, where it could be vetted, and it could be discussed because um, there, there could be, uh, obviously there is always merit when we come uh, uh, to, the, to the table uh, with an open mind and knowing that there's more than one way of doing something. And, you know, having grown up in a household um, with a mother, a Puerto Rican mother whose first language was Spanish and a father who came from Kentucky, you probably couldn't have imagined two more different people with uh, greater diversity in religious background, in cultural background. Um, you know, my father would tell the story of my mother. He was going to instruct her on how to prepare a turkey because in Puerto Rico, they didn't celebrate Thanksgiving Day. But here in America, we do. And uh, he gave her the list of ingredients. She went to the store, she got the ingredients, she comes home, she cooks the turkey. He said, gosh, what's in here? And she said, well, these are, you know, the, the list that you gave me. And he says, well, show me the oregano. Well, she didn't buy the Italian oregano, she bought the Mexican oregano. <laughs> she didn't know. So, you know, um, I think, uh, you know, from my background, it's, it, you know, we, we have to take off where uh, the, the, the I, don't, I don't even know how to explain this, but, but we, uh, I, I ha, uh, we have to put on one another in order to, to move forward. And so my parents came together and they, you know, uh, she took a little bit of him, he took a little bit of her, you know, and then, and, and you see it work and you see that compromise and you see that understanding. And I would hope that, um, God rest their souls, <laughs> um, you know, that they would be proud of the three of the four of us who are still here, that, you know, we've brought something different to the table. I have a sister who's, a, was an actuary by profession and another one who's a teacher. And, um, uh, you know, I know within their arenas that they have brought a different perspective, and um, that's my hope moving forward. Well, thank you both for that. And I think this will be our last question of the program, and it's George Dyers. And given the polarization of our electorate, what bills, directions do you see coming from the legislature? And I know there are expected 4,000 of them, so we've only got about two minutes left. So with that, 
Um, Representative Moore Green, do you want to take that one first? Representative Moore Green. Yes, yes, thank you. I, unmute, unmute. Uh, would you repeat the question, please? Um, uh, well, I would, but um, let's see. It, it has disappeared. Oh, okay. uh, hold on a second. Here we go. Given the polarization of our electorate, what bill's directions do you see coming from the legislature? And obviously there are some already there, but um, yeah. Um, you know, from, from the healthcare arena, um, I'm, I'm seeing uh, uh, access to care as a huge thing. I think we all recognize that we need that. In behavioral health, we're looking very hard at that workforce and how can we um, incentivize the workforce? How can we remove some of the barriers for um, some of the people with lived experience uh, in order to provide some of the peer mentoring that, that we know is so successful in recovery? And um, uh, in, in energy and environment, I think we're going to be seeing some, some bills out of there also that will... Um, speak to uh, um, greater resiliency for our um, communities that, that struggle more with um, uh, our low-income communities that struggle. So I, I think those are some of the things initially that I'm seeing. You know, I'd love to have a wrap-up at the end of session um, with Salem City Club. I, um, it's so early. It's it's hard to, to know exactly where things are going to go. And, and perhaps the Senator has um, some good words to provide here too. I, I would totally agree. It is early. Um, I would just say, I think um, perhaps the struggles are going to be around how do we find ways to fairly help people recover and as we rebuild our economy um, that addresses the fact that we do have limited resources and um, you know, a focus on, on equity and diversity, um, inclusion um, is gonna be really important. And I just, you know, um, I really believe that it's not either or, it has to be and, that we have to find a way to um, help our business, small businesses that have been so impacted. And remember that a lot of mothers have been, they lost a year of work to stay home and take care of their kids. And there are students who are falling behind and other things. So it's not just one sector, it's all of us together. We have to find a way to have a fair um, recovery and help, um, help each other. So. Okay, and I have just a quick follow-up on that. Um, so like I said, I think there are about 4,000 bills expected um, this session. And how many, of, how many bills uh, do you think the legislature can realistically uh, hear, vote, and pass. And uh, Representative Moore Green, do you want it, just your experience um, given the previous session and now, do you want to take that one? Yes, I do. And I'm going to put in a plug for a vote. Count your blessings and your votes. It's by Gary Wilhelms and Gary has, or the Honorable Gary Wilhelms, and he has addressed City Club numerous times over the years. And it was interesting. Um, he served in the late 70s and every session that he talked about, there were about 3,000 bills and he said about 900. 
So, you know, with about 4,000, I'm figuring, you know, maybe a thousand, but you know what, it could very well be less. And part of that is, as the Senator pointed out, is we've got a resource, we've got resources that are gonna be limited. And um, this whole virtual is much slower. In healthcare yesterday, um, you know, we did not get done what needed to be done. We could have used another hour and a half easily. Um, so I think things are just going to be slower. And and yeah, so we'll see. Okay. And Senator Patterson, I don't want to leave you out of that question. No, I, that's an excellent answer and right on target. I would uh, concur. Um, I would just say I am dedicated to working as hard as I can, as fast as I can, without leaving anybody behind. We want to hear everyone's voices. Okay, well, thank you both for being with us today. And thank you very much for the people that asked questions. And with that, I'll turn it over to Sharon um, to, to end the program. Thank you. Thank you, both of you. The, this was really an interesting program. And um, it was so interesting to hear your perspectives that are you know, new. Uh, it's really fun. Um, uh, we also hope that you will join us on March 5th to hear from Trevor Womack, who is Salem's new police chief. You can visit SalemCityClub.com for more details. Thanks for attending today. Have a good weekend. <laughs>